Good morning. My name is Dan Miller. I'm one of the elders and one of the regular preachers here. I've actually been here with my family for 13 years, uh, 16 if you count being a single guy, and 15 if you count our trip to North Africa last year. Um, I've actually grew up in church. It was a part of my life from the very beginning. My family rarely missed it. We printed the bulletins. Some things don't change. (laughs) I memorized chapters of scripture. I was in all the activities. I was in youth group, all the clubs. And one day I joined the big club. I got baptized. And in hindsight, it was one of the most disappointing days of my life. I mean, I knew, I knew I had sin to a point, but I never really spent time studying Jesus for myself. It's just something I did. Go to church. So when I got baptized, it felt good for a while. But for the next 10 years, as by God's grace I still grew, I, I grew a little crooked. I still sinned. I mean, who doesn't? But I was confused by that. I thought Jesus would make me a better person. I thought it would become easier to follow him, but I, I felt worse. Maybe, maybe I should get baptized again? As time passed, the cross actually seemed farther away. I felt close to God once for a little. Now what? Maybe you had a better start than me. Either way, I wonder if a lot of you here at least once have felt that widening gap. You seemed close to God once, and then life, and now, well, you you smile. Maybe you come here every week, you do good things like I did, but you wonder... Am I really going to make it to the end? I mean, Jesus made you close to God once. Will you stay there? Or can you get back? It's a lonely feeling, but it shouldn't be. This is a human problem. The early church, in fact, especially... Those raised Jewish struggled in this very way. You see, they always had priests to help them feel close to God. The priests would give them God's laws. And when those laws were broken, priests would restore them to God through sacrifices. And uh, one of those days, though, These people hear rumors of a change. Imagine the discussion. The the man, 
He said he was God. He said he died for our sins. Was he a priest? They say he rose from the dead. Is he, is he still priest? Is he our priest forever? Do we have to do, do we have to do the sacrifices? Is it finished? That's what today's text is about. If we believe in Jesus' never-ending priesthood, we are close to God, we are forgiven forever. But before the author talks about Jesus, the last priest, he does a fun thing. He looks back at the first one. He finally pulls the curtain back on this guy, this mysterious priest that if you've been with us, you keep hearing his name as we've walked through the book of Hebrews. And his name is Melchizedek. Say it with me, Melchizedek. You'll get better. He's an interesting character and he's going to teach us a lot more than we might think. So let's read about him as we start in verses 7, 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. We'll make some connections to Jesus. Verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the, God, of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Through these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, that's Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. But he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Boy, doesn't that just clear it all up? The first thing we're going to see is that we need a never-ending priesthood. We need a never-ending priesthood. It's point one on your outline. Melchizedek is apparently part of that, but he's just a little bit confusing. He actually only gets four little verses back in Genesis 14, which are summed up here, but they're provocative. Verse 1 calls him both priest and king. And if you've been here for 
our study Hebrews, you remember that typically you can't be both. That is unusual. And he meets Abraham, who's the father of all Jews, and and Melchizedek blesses him. And then Abraham, in verse 2, gives Melchizedek a tenth of this huge treasure. He is just one. So, what do we not know about Melchizedek? Pretty much everything else. Melchizedek just seems to enter and then vanish from your Bible. Verse 3, he is without father, mother, or genealogy. No beginning or end. Is this guy even human? That's funny. There's actually a ton of theories about that out there. I know a lot of them now, and you can talk to me afterwards if you'd like to talk about those theories. Some people suggest Melchizedek is an angel. Some even call him a New Testament special appearance of Jesus himself. But, after all that digging, I don't think the text points to the supernatural. Because the clearer point is lineage. All Jewish priests are supposed to be part of a family, the family called Levi. That's why you'll see that the priest is called, the priesthood is called the Levitical priesthood. But Melchizedek isn't part of that family. And here's one reason. Levi wasn't born yet. So is Melchizedek a real priest? Well, here's the funny thing. Abraham seems to think so. And the author seems to think so. So we should. There's two reasons why. Number one, Melchizedek gives a blessing. Verse six. Abraham, who has this promise from God, if you remember, that promise is, you're going to be a great nation, though he has no kids. He's blessed here in the pursuit of that promise by the priest Melchizedek. Look at verse 7. Melchizedek is called superior to Abraham because he does the blessing. It's important. Second, he receives an offering. It's the giving of 10% or if you're a church kid, tithe phrase. Verse 5 tells us that Levitical priests would later have this very job. So who's Melchizedek collecting from? Abraham, from whom all Jews came. And all Levites came. That's why verse 9 and 10 suggest that it's like they all paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham. In other words, Melchizedek isn't a weird outcast of the priesthood. He's the point of it. Or maybe he's a shadow of the real point. All of this begins, especially for the Jewish person, to connect things to Jesus. That's the end of verse 3. In this way, think, that's lineage, Melchizedek resembles Jesus. Not that Melchizedek is immortal, 
But he belongs to this never-ending priesthood. It's not Levitical. It's bigger than that. And it's a priesthood that Jesus himself would later join. Let me show you as we read verses 11 through 19. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, the the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. The second thing, friends, that we learn is that we have a never-ending priest. And we have that to accompany this never-ending priesthood. To explain this, the author first shows us how the Levitical priests were not enough. In verse 11, he asks this great question, If perfection were attainable, why do we need a new priesthood? Which is another way of saying, look at our history. We never got perfection. And the Levitical priesthood died off. It did during the exile. It's even worse. Look at verse 12. Even if you got a good priest, they died. And then you get a new one. And laws would get changed. And sometimes they would be clarifying like some laws. And sometimes they would be corrupt like other laws. Widows exploited. Orphans ignored. You've read that in your Bible. Guess who that came from? The Levitical priesthood. Right from the top. But then, in verse 14, along comes Jesus. He's not from the line of Levi. He's from Judah, where there is no priesthood. He's like Melchizedek. But, Jesus is more. He says... 
He can take away sins. And he's killed. Religious leaders, ironically, sacrifice him on the altar of their power. But then, look at verses 16 and 17. This is what separates Jesus from everybody else. His indestructible life. He's raised up. What's that mean? He is a never-ending priest because he is never-ending. Imagine hearing that. After a lifetime of sacrifices, waxing and waning with wondering how close to God you really are, serving under a corrupt priest. And then you hear of this. How is this possible? How is this possible? It's possible because it depends on God and not on man. I mean, who is the one who promised a great nation to, to Abraham? It wasn't Abraham. It was God. And this was a promise blessed by the priest Melchizedek. And then the people and the priests failed. So Jesus came to be the last priest they would ever need. The author shows us this was all part of the plan by going back to Psalm 110 here in verse 17. And in that chapter of the Psalms, God says this to Jesus. You are a priest Forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, to the Jewish audience, what Melchizedek started, Jesus finished. Jesus is a never-ending priest in a never-ending priesthood. So how's a Jewish person responding to all this? You can imagine the discussion. Okay, so, so what do I have to do? More laws? New ones? Are they better? If Jesus is God, does he make sacrifices every day? What if I break God's law now? Look at verse 19. The law doesn't make people perfect. It just reveals imperfection. So do the sacrifices end? Can people really be forgiven forever? Can you? Good question. Let's find out. Verse 20 to the end. And it was not without an oath. The priesthood. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number. 
because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So the final thing we learn here is that because in Jesus we have a never-ending priest and a never-ending priesthood, we can trust that forgiveness never ends. We are forgiven forever. In verse 21, God is speaking to Jesus again. The Lord swears and won't change his mind. You are a priest forever. God is staking his own name on it. This priesthood will not end. So what does this make Jesus? The guarantor, verse 22, of a better covenant, a better promise. God promised that he would make Abraham a great nation, that they would all be together in the end. Did that happen through Israel and the Levitical priesthood? No. Because of sin, they were swallowed up, sent out to other nations far from God. But then God himself came near. And so Jesus is the guarantee that God's people could be close to God forever. There's two more reasons why. First, a never-ending priesthood means never-ending forgiveness. Verses 24 and 25. Jesus lives forever being God. It says priesthood can end. He's always interceding for his people. It's not just that he's alive. But he's at the right hand of the Father, according to Psalm 110, continuing to be a priest forever. And I think we forget that because we can't see it. God swears it. So that means the only way Jesus stops being a priest is if God stops being God. So when you don't feel forgiven, you can't blame Jesus. Second, Jesus is the perfect priest and sacrifice. 
Verse 27. He offered up one sacrifice. His body. Perfect. Stainless. Separate. Not an imperfect sacrifice like other priests. Only for the day's sin. Including their own. Which were many. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. In him it is finished. He's not the sacrifice anymore. But he's still the priest. And the original audience would read this. And they would know for certain based on their own history, their own writings. What does that mean Jesus is doing? It means he's at God's hand right now looking down at his people even in their sin. And he's looking over at his father and he's holding up his nail scarred hands and he's saying there with me you promised and that promise to the Hebrews and to us sealed by God's oath is that Jesus will do that forever so if you believe In Jesus' never-ending priesthood, you are forgiven forever, too. So how does this apply? I'll go first. That baptism is in the rear view, usually. But all my darker days, underneath... I smile, I look at my sin, and I just don't think God really wants to be with me. And I think back to my baptism, and I hear this little voice, and here's what it says. Dan, how do you expect to make it to the end? You couldn't even get the beginning right. And I look around and I see sin everywhere. And if I think of Jesus, I think only of death. Does that sound familiar? Don't get me wrong. Jesus did die. He had to. He was the perfect sacrifice. But he's not the perfect sacrifice anymore. Sacrifice is done. But he's still the priest. And you know what? Right now, my priest, Jesus, is looking down at me in those moments, even in my sin. And he's looking at his father. And he's holding up his nail-scarred hands. And he's saying... Dance with me. Father, you promised. 
So here's one application for you. Remember that Jesus not only died for your sins, he lives as your priest. Remember that Jesus not only died for your sins, but he lives as your priest. Maybe the cross of Jesus seemed close to you. And now it seems far away. So now you try to add on to that. And you're trying to be good. You do all the rituals. You come here. You sing. You tithe. And maybe you do all that forgetting that Jesus is your priest. And so it's on you. You're the priest. And every day you wake up and underneath the smile, you're not sure if you're going to make it. And so you're desperately offering little things to God in the hopes that maybe, just maybe, finally he'll accept you now. And you forget that in Jesus, you already are accepted. Friend, if that's you, please know that Jesus right now is looking down at you, even in your sin, and he's looking over at his father, and he's holding up his nail-scarred hands, and he's saying, he's with me. She's with me. They're all with me. Father, you promised. Only Jesus' priesthood matters. When you sin, no works, no self-harm, no self-denial will appease God. Because he's already satisfied. And it's not with you. It's with Jesus. To be close to God, you need a priest. And if it's not Jesus, it has to be you. Please take a lesson from Israel. You can't do it. But if Jesus is your priest, he really is the last priest you'll ever need. That's a promise to the Hebrews and it's a promise to us. And it is a promise sealed by God. If you believe in Jesus' never-ending priesthood, you are forgiven forever. Let's pray. Dear God, In a world where priests are caricatures on television and in movies and even in some places of worship, you are not fooled. There is forgiveness in one priest and it's Jesus. And it is a forgiveness that we can bank on. Lord, help us to lay down 
our false mantle of high priest and to give it back to you. Help us to remember when we keep trying to finish your work that it's already finished on the cross. And we thank you, Jesus, that you rose again to give us hope. Amen.